Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health and we are joined today by Barbara Lowe Fisher who is the co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center for over 35 years ago and has been on this uh, interview series many times for all her work and efforts and today we're going to invite her to discuss and elaborate on the uh, intensive pressure to remove exemptions that have been really given us an optional out if we have carefully researched the information out there and come to a conclusion that we don't agree with it, we can opt out. But they're taking aggressive efforts now, certainly in California and extending to other states. And Barbara is going to give us an update on that, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy. So welcome. Thank you for joining us today, Barbara. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mercola. Yes, it's been a, an incredible year, an unprecedented year in this country. The assault on vaccine exemptions uh, has covered the whole country. The National Vaccine Information Center has monitored more than 500 vaccine-related bills in, that have been introduced in the states this year uh, that we have actively reported on and issued action alerts in, in, in many cases on more than 200 vaccine-related bills in 30 states, including the, the, as well as the District of Columbia. So what has happened this year as a result of the World Health Organization declaring that vaccine hesitancy is one of the top 10 global threats to health in this world, which was immediately followed by, and I don't think coincidentally, followed by reports of outbreaks of measles. <laughs> As the number two. <laughs> and, and just like you're, in 2015. You're, you're going to, excuse me, but you're going to need, after you just finish what you're saying, you're going to need to elaborate on why that's such a laughable statement. Well, I, I, it was like deja vu for many of us. Uh, 2015, there was an announcement of an outbreak of measles at Disneyland. And the same thing that happened this year happened in 2015. A huge hysteria nationally, hype about the dangers of measles and how it was all the fault of children going to school with vaccine exemptions. Mm -hmm. Okay, even though less than 2% of children go to school with vaccine exemptions for any reason in this country. But that hype in 2015 stampeded the California legislature into removing the personal belief vaccine exemption. This year, it stampeded the fear and hype about measles outbreaks, stampeded the states of Maine and New York to eliminate personal belief exemptions. In Maine, the religious and conscious exemption was eliminated. In New York, the religious exemption was eliminated. In Washington state, the religious, ex I'm sorry, the conscious exemption for MMR vaccine was eliminated. And now in California, we have a bill that is awaiting the signature of the governor that will uh, restrict the medical exemption to only CDC approved contraindications to vaccine, which for which really at this point, there are hardly any medical reasons to contraindicate uh, vaccination according to the Centers for Disease Control. So what else happened this year? I'm gonna give you some statistics to show how widespread this assault on informed consent rights to vaccination has been in our country. 18 states proposed to eliminate or restrict vaccine exemptions. And as I said, only Maine and New York actually did that and Washington partially did it for MMR vaccine. But because parents and enlightened healthcare professionals stood up this year, contacted their legislators that we have asked them to do for 10 years now and showed up by the thousands at public hearings on these bills, we were able to stop bad bills in Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Vermont, Washington, Oregon, and Texas. We were able to hold the line on some of these vaccine bills, especially to take away exemptions. Just a brief question here while I'm remembering is, do you believe that your vaccine portal uh, was a big catalyst in that success? No question. 10 years ago, we created the vaccine, uh, the NVIC advocacy portal, which is an online communications and advocacy network. When you register for free 
you are become a registered user and you are put into electronic contact with your own legislators. You are also given action alerts in your email box. When bills are moving in your state that will take away your informed consent rights or will uh, expand them. So what we've done is made it easy for you to become a vaccine choice activist. And we encourage everyone to sign up because what is happening in this country is, like I said, unprecedented, and it's going to be worse next year. Uh, there are three states, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, that has still have bills pending to take away vaccine exemptions. Already, there have been two states, Florida and Massachusetts, which have pre-filed bills for 2020 to take away religious exemptions, and in Florida, to also restrict the medical exemption to only uh, CDC contraindications. They're going to create a medical board that's going to re review all medical exemptions. Um, we're predicting that Colorado, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Oregon, and Wisconsin are going to be particularly vulnerable in 2020. Uh, there are bills like pending in DC and New Jersey, and we expect more to be introduced next year that will allow minor children to give consent to vaccination without their parents' knowledge or consent. The picture that we're seeing is that there is a move in this country to eliminate all vaccine exemptions effectively because the medical is, is become so restrictive, it's almost a non-exemption. All right, I know you've got a lot to share, but I, I, I don't want this one to be necessarily a monologue, so I want to interrupt occasionally and just get your insights, again, sort of, well, on this one with respect to herd immunity because I think it's good to jump back here and review that because the initial uh, presumption and, and you in past have really marvelously exp explained this with, I think in your measles post about this herd immunity concept and they need a minimum of 80% and they've got 98% of the kids vaccinated. So according to the herd immunity theory, it shouldn't matter that you get rid of, that you, that you annihilate these exemptions. So it, it is just so highly irrational, given that that is the primary justification. So if you could take a tangent and discuss that, that would be great. Okay, it's ludicrous to suggest that the children attending school vaccine exemptions, like I say, less than 2% do in this country, that they're responsible for disease outbreaks. And one of the biggest myths out there is that when you get vaccinated, that you, you are guaranteed to, have the, to, to not get the disease for which you've been vaccinated against. What, what, is, what is people don't understand is you can get vaccinated, be, be infected subclinically. That means have no symptoms or very few symptoms and you can still transmit that infection to other people. When you have subclinical infections or atypically presenting infections in vaccinated people, those people are not being diagnosed and reported. Who is being diagnosed and reported? The people who are fully expressing the symptoms. Many times those are unvaccinated people. They're fully expressing where the vaccinated are atypically or subclinically presenting, and they're never diagnosed or reported. So it looks as if all of the disease is occurring in unvaccinated people. It's not. With pertussis, the medical literature is clear that both the whole cell DPT vaccine and acellular vaccine, those vaccines did not always block infection and you had subclinical infections and transmission. Okay. Same thing with measles vaccine, mumps vaccine, influenza yeah. vaccine. Let's get a perspective. So we've got the vaccinated individuals getting infected subclinically, and we have the unvaccinated individuals getting infected clinically. So can you give us an idea of the percentages of each of those? Because those two populations I just discussed are responsible for shedding the virus and continu continuing to spread the infection. We don't know. We do not know how much the wild type virus is, is, for example, with measles, is circulating. The recent medical literature is showing and confirming, not just in this country, but around the world, okay? This measles outbreaks that occurred this year didn't just occur in the United States. 
they occurred all over the world. So there is a lot that they don't know, but they keep saying, when I say they, I mean the health authorities, uh, certainly the vaccine manufacturers are not interested in really getting to the truth of the effectiveness of their vaccines. And what's happening is people think that only unvaccinated people are actually causing uh, spreading disease when that is not true. But, but Dr. Mercola, we don't have a handle on how many people. Okay, but, but they could know. I mean, we have the technology to do that right, with, with genetic sequencing to figure out who is doing the spreading and how, what the percentages are. I mean, is, is that true from your perspective? Well, I would think, I don't know if they are quietly doing this, this surveillance, but there's no acknowledgement that they are doing it. There's no public acknowledgement that they're doing it. I'd like them to answer the question. How many people in this country are getting subclinically infected and are transmitting after being vaccinated? That's a big question that should be answered. And it could be answered. I mean, the technology exists, but if they're not doing those studies, uh, they should and, and do it publicly and announce it beforehand so they would not be able to suppress the data if it conflicted with their end game. Well, I agree. There needs to be more transparency with regard to a lot of things <laughs> with vaccine science policy and law. There is not enough transparency on the part of the government that develops vaccines in partnership with the drug companies, that licenses vaccines, that makes po national policy for vaccines, which as I mentioned previously, they're trying to codify into state law, like in California, the, the uh, recommendations by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices at the CDC. That's, a, that's a, a, an appointed body by the CDC, and they're trying to make that body a de facto lawmaking body in this country. They're unelected people who are appointed by the CDC. Why should a, you know, a handful of people be allowed to effectively be lawmakers? Because if you codify into state law the, the contraindications of the CDC and do not allow doctors to have any exercise any professional judgment, or conscience in giving a child a vaccine, a medical vaccine exemption to, to protect that child from vaccine injury or death, that's making that body at, at the CDC a lawmaking body. Yeah, and, and, and we have uh, linked to videos that show recordings of those meetings. And to say that they are laughable is one, a profoundly serious understatement. I mean, the, so one of the individuals will bring up a valid question expressing concern and they say, yes, okay, next question. No one investigates it. And then, the, and then in, in a few minutes, they pass and approve it. It's just insane what they're doing. I mean, you, well, the other thing why does it even exist? It's just a rubber stamp. The other thing that's really insane, in my opinion, is those individuals who are appointed to vaccine advisory committees, and I know this because I was a consumer member of the FDA Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee for four years, between 1999 and 2001. And I know that those people are given conflict of interest waivers to sit on that committee. Okay, people who get grants from the government to develop vaccines and from the vaccine manufacturers to conduct clinical trials, the people can be given conflict of interest waivers to sit on that committee and vote on the licensing of vaccines or the CDC committee, the making national policy recommendations that at this point, they're trying to turn into state law. I don't think that's right. No, of course it's not, but it, it gives the appearance of ostensibly doing an appropriate scientific and medical review. So it's considered safe because the physicians reviewed it never looking I mean, it, they don't have to look because it's irrelevant. As you mentioned, they have, they have waivers for conflict of interest and most likely the majority of them have it. Well, you know, a lot of people that are considered vaccine experts definitely have financial relationships with the government in terms of government grants and also the manufacturers for testing or running clinical trials or otherwise being involved with the vaccine manufacturers. These public-private partnerships that have been allowed by Congress to develop over the last 30 years between the federal health agencies 
and the pharmaceutical companies are very problematical because if you're in a partnership, a business partnership with someone, and you're supposed to be regulating that industry, like the, the, like the FDA is supposed to be regulating these companies, how are you gonna regulate your partner, your business partner? You're not. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yeah, that, that really is the core of the problem. It's just, there's this massive collusion between uh, industry and the federal regulatory agencies that are actually monitoring them and supervising them and, and ostensibly regulating them. And it just isn't happening when you have this revolving door and this massive collusion. That's actually, I think that the, the problem that we're seeing right now with these attacks, I mean, more and more vicious attacks publicly on anyone who criticizes vaccine safety uh, and, and vaccine policy and law and vaccine science, these attacks on freedom of speech, the right to dissent, the right to criticize government and ask them to do a better job in protecting the public's health is symptomatic of the, the close financial partnerships that, that, that are in place right now between the pharmaceutical industry and the government and medical trade, frankly, as well. Okay, so that was a bit of a tangent, but I think an important one. So I'll let you get back to the uh, your update on the progress of the attack on the removal and the removal of vaccine exemptions. Well, we're going to be doing a more detailed report uh, and releasing a more detailed report later in Vaccine Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the intricate, I gave you an overview of okay. the major highlights, and that is that despite 18 states having vaccine-related legislation that would restrict or remove vaccine exemptions, really only three states in this legislative session uh, went ahead and did that. I think that that shows that the, when the people stand up and make their voices heard, it does make a difference. You have to get involved in the legislative process, in the lawmaking process in order to protect your rights. Yeah, and I'll put a pitch in here for your vaccine portal, which we mentioned earlier. I mean, if you have any inkling, if anyone in your family has been harmed by this or you're for whatever reason motivated to become active in this, this portal has made it very, very easy for you to become a powerful advocacy and, and activist in this area. Because it all, essentially all the work is done for you and it makes it just puts, it puts it on a silver platter for you. So I would strongly encourage you to sign up for the vaccine portal. Maybe you can just mention how to do that now, Barb. Yes, real easy. NVICadvocacy.org. You go in, you register, and we're actually in the process of updating the portal, making it look you know, a little bit nicer and, and a little bit become a little bit more user friendly. But right now, it's it works great, and uh, I think that you 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 would feel empowered when you sign up and become a user. It's like I say, it's free, but it really empowers you to be part of the process in protecting your informed consent rights when it comes to vaccination. Yeah, this is, this, and I would encourage you to consider consider yourself a major difference maker uh, because these attacks are becoming uh, progressively more vicious. And we've already seen in June the removal of most of us, even many of us who haven't even ever talked about vaccines, essentially being censored by Google because we're providing information that allows people to avoid being prematurely taken out and suffering needlessly by using the conventional medical system. And we're called fake news or anti-vax, and they have a whole variety of justifications for actually removing us, real, removing our entire con from, from major search engines like Google. So as a result, and I'm not doing that to complain, only to tell you that the ability of people to find this information is becoming progressively suppressed. So as a result of that suppression, it, it's incumbent upon you, if you know the truth, to, to protect the future of our country by, by fighting for this right, because we still have the opportunity to do this. It's still a free country. It's not like Germany was in pre-World War II. So we still can make a difference, and you can make a difference. And, many, and I thank the many of you who have made a difference. But we need to continue to do it. We need to be vigilant and disciplined about it, because if we aren't, they'll just decimate us out there. So it's really an important strategy. It really is. And I think even people, well, especially people, who want to use vaccines, 
who want to follow the CDC's vaccine schedule. What they need to understand is the work that we're doing is actually helping to protect them as well because what we're advocating for is proper licensing standards at the FDA, is, is wise vaccine policy making at the CDC. We defend your right to be able to make vaccine choices and use a few vaccines, all the vaccines or no vaccines. That's your right and responsibility to make that decision. But if your freedom is taken away from you and you can't make that decision anymore, what, what you need to understand is that there are many more vaccines coming. Yeah, yeah, um, but even, even if it's just the ones that exist. Yes. I think, I, I really wanna go back to this measles vaccine because it's, it's such a wonderful illustration of how they bastardized the entire scientific process and given, it, it's almost like a Ponzi scheme. So I don't know, I, I've never seen any more brilliant expose on this as the, the, the article you wrote on it. And it took you quite a, it was a research piece that you put together and I'm not sure, I, I suspect you can remember the highlights. But what, what I remember is I think you started in the 80s and the promise of the MMR and the, this whole herd immunity concept. And they said, they, they, they essentially, not the, the, they promised to essentially eradicate measles, given the, if they could get 80% of the population vaccinated. And then, and I may have the numbers wrong, but it's, and it just continues to escalate and escalate. And they, they were wrong like six times. So do you, do you remember those details? Because it was a very powerful story that, I think represents is can be valid for just about any of the vaccines out there. You know, I did a deep dive into the medical literature. Uh, be, well, for several reasons, I wrote that commentary, which has, I don't know how many references, over 150, I believe. At any rate, I, there were a couple of things that came to mind. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. I had measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox. So did all of my friends and my family. And I can tell you that there was, there just wasn't the fear of these childhood diseases that there is today. And when I started to do the research into the medical literature, the history of measles vaccination, right at the very beginning, in the early 1960s, you had very influential, powerful public health officials and physicians in this country acknowledging that measles was really a moderately a moderate illness. It did not cause widespread injury and death. I mean, they didn't just say it once, they said it multiple times, including before they decided to bring out the first measles vaccine. This is in the literature. It is contemporary descriptions in the 50s and 60s of what measles was like. So how did we go from that description to what we have today, which is characterizing measles as one of the biggest threats to humanity? Yeah, an existential threat that can take out, literally take out the entire species, which is just so mind-bogglingly perverted and wrong. It's irresponsible. You know, when public health officials and doctors don't tell the truth to people, they eventually find out that they're not being told the truth. And then what happens? They lose trust in what doctors and public health officials say. And well, they should, because they've been lied to. I mean, I know from personal experience, I came from a medical family. I trusted doctors and science. I, I believed what I was told, and I didn't question vaccines, and my son had a reaction to his fourth DPT shot, and I was shocked that I hadn't been told the truth. And I think that this, when I did this research on measles, a history of measles and measles vaccine, I was just blown away again by the fact that there is not transparency now about what the, the real facts about these diseases and the real facts about the risks associated with the vaccines and also the effectiveness. They knew from the very beginning with the first killed and, and live virus measles vaccines that the vaccine, measles vaccines were not always blocking infection and that you could get atypical measles and you could or have no symptoms 
and still transmit. They knew this. And so I, I don't, it, it's a shame really uh, that in my opinion, they are only digging the hole deeper for people to not trust what they say. And you're right, all along the way, they kept moving the goalposts in terms of how many people would have to be vaccinated in order for there to be herd immunity. They kept, and essentially elimination of the virus from the population was what, what their projections were. Right, exactly. And you know, when you really look at it, you see that herd immunity, since we started to use vaccines, multiple vaccines starting in the 50s and 60s, has always been a combination of temporary vaccine acquired immunity and naturally acquired immunity. When you're vaccinated, you actually can get asymptomatically boosted by coming in contact with a wild type virus, people who are actively infected. The best it type of booster, it's free and without side effects. Asymptomatic boosting going on all over the place both in vaccinated and unvaccinated people. You know, nature's an amazing, amazing. Our immune systems are amazing. If we only learn how to work in harmony with nature, yeah. if we only respect the, the, the immune system and, and, and what our bodies are and can do on their own. Um, but instead, we are trying to manipulate the, the functioning of the immune system and certainly atypical manipulation throughout childhood from, from the day you were born all the way through, atypically manipulating the immune system with, with vaccines. Has that produced better public health? No, I would no. argue it has not. Let me just emphasize a point. The, by insisting on this high degree, almost universal vaccine injections, they have eliminated virtually eliminated this passive natural wild type immunity that from people who were not vaccinated. It's gone, and as a result, I want you to discuss the consequences of that and what we're seeing. Well, what certainly with measles, what, what the medical literature shows is that the baby, those of us who are the baby boomers and, and those who are still around in the, in the generation before us, we acquired natural immunity, which is qualitatively superior, it's longer lasting uh, than vaccine acquired immunity. We have been helping herd immunity, what looks like herd vaccine acquired herd immunity. We never were vaccinated, but we, we're, we are contributing to the concept or the, what looks like vaccine acquired herd immunity. When we die, when we all go, you won't have that barrier anymore. And they know that. Vaccine acquired immunity is not the same as naturally acquired immunity. And that has been the problem from the very beginning with the creation of these vaccines. They have never understood how to make vaccines mimic exactly uh, naturally acquired immunity. I think that the, the most shocking part whenever I go into the medical literature is understanding how much they do not know about the functioning of the immune system, about how infections confer uh, immunity and how vaccines stimulate uh, artificial immunity. You talk about it, shots in the dark. <laughs> the title of your book, isn't it? DPT, A Shot in the Dark, was the title of the 1985 book Dr. Coulter and I published. But I'll tell you, it is shots in the dark because the basic science knowledge, the bench science that should have been done preceding the introduction of these vaccines, or at least while they're being used, should have been done, is not there. And they're trying to play catch up now. But you know what they don't want to admit is the mistakes they've made. They do not want to admit that hubris, you know, false pride. I told them 20 years ago, if you do not address vaccine injuries and deaths and what you don't know about vaccine effectiveness and, and vaccine safety, you are going to get in, the people are going to eventually not trust anything you say because you haven't done the work you need to do. And it's coming true. Look at how many people are aware now today that vaccines are, have risks 
and they're not being admitted by the government or by the manufacturers or well, by the that, that's only because of these con damn anti-conspiracy or conspiracy websites yeah right we're asking for the science oh my goodness what a concept yeah yeah show us the science and give us a choice has been our mantra and yet we're being criticized for asking for better quality science to buttress these public health policies i don't see anything wrong with that no no that's indeed it's it's uh it's uh encouraging to see that a, at least a, a percentage of the population is aware and understands this and and not necessarily those who are parents of children who've been injured by vaccine and there's certainly many of those yes i i think that there, the, all the polls show, not just in this country, but in Europe and other countries, that he, at least half or more of the populations in educated uh, countries, countries where you have a high education level, the, the people are questioning the safety of vaccines. And they know that people are questioning and they know people are becoming more educated and what they're trying to do, and I say they, I mean the public health officials at the World Health Organization, the, the public-private partnerships between pharmaceutical companies and the federal agencies here in, in every country, you know, uh, they are trying to stop anyone from being able to talk about it publicly and certainly stop anyone from being able to make vaccine choices. They do not want to have a threat to the infrastructure that they've created, and they don't want the companies don't want a threat to their profit making. No, they don't like that type of competition uh, and, and free market choice, which should be available. But it's all for the greater good. <laughs> Who's greater good? <laughs> the greater good of the of the vaccine manufacturers, of course. Yeah. Can you can you enlighten us as to how much profit they made last year? Oh. Well, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. They, they say it's a multi-billion. I think it's up to 52 million. I, no, they billion. all the time. Yeah, I think it's well, it's, it's certainly excess of 10 billion, that's for certain. But well, I think worldwide, it's, I think it's projected to be 52 billion, but I think it's about 36 billion right now. Yeah, so that's a lot of money. And I mean, actually it's not, I mean, it's, it's, as large amounts of money go, it's significant, but it's, I mean, there are certainly bigger sums that, get turned around, but uh, th that can uh, provide a lot of incentive to continue this charade. Well, when you don't have liability. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's no downside because if you run any business, you know, it's a, it's a value of balancing the threats and the opportunities. And essentially the threats have been eliminated very carefully, I would add, in 1985 with uh, that act that uh, you were responsible for commenting on. The 1986 National- 86, Child I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's all right. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, uh, when that bill was passed in, 19, in November of 1986, uh, the company still had liability. They had liability for design defect, and that is failure to make a vaccine safer. And also the doctors had liability in 1986. We were able to fight to protect that the, the, the companies and the doctors could be liable in civil court, as well as people could choose to go to the, the vaccine injury compensation program run by the federal government. We also got safety provisions in that law, the BEARS system, the, the, the vaccine information statements, uh, the, the duty to write down uh, vaccine uh, names and manufacturers' names and lot numbers in the medical record. There were a lot of things that happened in that law, not the least of which was government acknowledgement that vaccines can injure and kill. But what happened after that law was passed? In 1987, the medical trade associations very quietly, without us knowing about it, got an amendment attached to a budget bill at the end of 1987 that gave the doctors liability protection. And then over the succeeding decades, the Congress looked the other way while the, the federal agencies through rulemaking authority gutted that law, gutted the compensation provisions, gutted the safety provisions, and Congress itself added amendments at the, at the behest of the companies and, the, and uh, the medical trade associations. So this law that is in place today isn't recognizable to the law that we, that we worked on in, in the 1980s. It's been a huge betrayal of the public trust and it's a lesson learned 
it's very difficult to get justice or to get a fair law uh, over the long term when you're dealing with politicians who have get sums of uh, great sums of money from the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, yes, I, I believe it's a reflection of the length of time a government has been existing. So uh, when that was over 200 years when this happened in the United States and the longer a government exists, the more likely it is to be fatally corrupted and ours certainly is. And at some point it seems that really the only solution is, is a revolution. And that happens of course on a regular basis. And I suspect that may be the final solution because there's no way legislatively you're going to going to survive this. And, and I, uh, I'm delighted in your courageous efforts, and especially with the vaccine portal and, and hurting this off, but in some ways it's like Custer's last stand. I mean, they keep on coming and coming and coming, or the Alamo, you know, it's, they're much bigger than we are. It's, 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 a, it's a David versus super Goliath scenario, and eventually they're gonna remove all vaccines exemptions. See. Well, here's the thing, Dr. Mercola. Um, I, I'm a great champion of human rights and civil liberties because I, I believe that civil, protecting civil liberties, freedom of thought, speech, conscience, religious belief, they are foundational to mm -hmm. our government and the founding of our, of our country. These are fundamental human rights that we must protect. I do believe that if people will wake up and stop being apathetic and will get involved in the legislative process, and will elect, will run and elect in people of integrity who will not be bought out, that we can turn this around without a true a revolution of the type that you're talking about. Yeah. I think we can do, have a revolution, but have a, be a, a renewal, a rebirth of this mm -hmm. country by people, good people, because I do believe most people are good, yeah. And that most people want to help other people and they don't want injustice or cruelty or they want compassion, compassionate laws, not like the kind that we're seeing with vaccines, which are not compassionate. They're, the laws that we're seeing are, are based on a utilitarian rationale, which is immoral. It's a pseudo ethic. Uh, and that is that some people can be sacrificed for the rest, that a minority of people can be sacrificed for the rest. And that kind of thinking, which is underpinning vaccine policy and law in this country, is very, it, the slippery slope is right there with utilitarianism. Because once you decide some people are expendable, the question becomes how many are expendable for the greater good? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I agree with your approach in, in theory. The problem is it's becoming progressively more challenging to implement. We had a chance with, the, with an open internet, but that, it's not open anymore. Uh, because the, the, the default search engine is, is essentially aligned with the interests of the pharmaceutical industries who are big contributors to their revenues. So uh, as a result, they're eliminating this platform to educate people. But I, I do have hope, and, and you know, my earlier comments probably were a bit overly pessimistic, but the only way that we're going to get what you're believing is going to happen and catalyze the awareness of the population is through an alternative platform yes. that allows people to find this information. And we've got a vision on how to implement that. And that was one of the things that I was in San Diego last week with a group of about 500 individuals. And we actually have a plan in place. And I don't want to disclose that plan here, but I want to let you know and it may take us a while, it may take us a year or two to, to get this plan in place, but essentially what it's going to involve, and I'm very excited about this, is, is developing this alternative platform. And we're not sure exactly what it is, whether it's a blockchain search engine or some place that's going to exist that essentially will be uncensored health information. And well, why would anyone go there? Well, it's because they're going to know about it. And we're, we have connections with hundreds of thousands, maybe upwards of a half a million to a million healthcare clinicians who are sensitive to this issue and who each one of those have has hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of their patients. So we're, and we're going to unite in unison to drive people to this search engine and it's going to spread like wildfire and they'll know this is the place you go to if you want to find the truth. So that has to exist. Otherwise, the, the conventional media, the 
the internet through the Google search engine, Facebook is, uh, YouTube is all going to be controlled. Well, I'm, you, I can't tell you, this makes my day, makes my... <laughs> it's going to happen. You know, I, I'm sorry, I, I know what you're in, but I just want to share this because I'm so excited. I mean, it just happened a few days ago. It brings me to tears. Yeah. What we've been able to do to change people's lives. Yes. And see, that appears crazy. So I know with the highest degree of confidence, this is going to happen. There's not a micro doubt in my mind. It may take a few years, but it's going to happen because we know what to do. And I'm glad that we had this censorship an issue as an issue because it's going to motivate us to do the right thing. And we saw it happen. And we know, actually, we're assigned a surprise they didn't censor us earlier. And you, too. We've both been censored. So the, and the, the reason I'm sad is that people are denied the opportunity of their freedom of choice to read and make their own decision. They're being, they're being, the, the, their choices are being forced upon them, not through, through necessarily elimination of vaccines, but elimination of the information itself. Well, when one door closes, another door opens. Yeah, and that's what we're building. We're building a giant door, a portal. Not a portal, well, in some ways a portal, but an entrance way to find this information. Well, I, I can't be more delighted. This is exactly what is needed. And I think it's going to be a catalyst for many more things and public awareness and empowerment because we've all, you and I have always been about empowering people with information so they can, as you say, take control of their health. And this is extremely exciting. And I know so many people are gonna be sending up a collective cheer when they hear you say this. Yeah. Um, because people are desperate for accurate information that mm -hmm. they then can, can act on. Um, and our freedoms, you know, freedom isn't free, right? I mean, that's another right. thing, but freedom is not free. And we are all called upon in the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> I get emotional when I talk about this. We're all called upon in the 21st century to defend autonomy, the right to protect bodily integrity and human rights that, that really are, the, is, are what keeps us free, a free people, able to, to chart our own course in life and able to protect our children's health. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm excited. And believe me, it's not just me. I may be one of the, the faces for this movement, but it's not going to happen unless every one of those or 95% plus of those half a million to a million clinicians and healthcare providers that I mentioned are aligned together. No matter what their beliefs, and they totally disagree with some of the other people, we all have to get together because this is David against Super Goliath on steroids. It is, but we can do this. Yeah, we I outnumber them, probably a million or 10 million to one. I, I believe, I, I, I uh, believe that we can do this as a nation. I think that people just need to wake up and they need to get involved instead of just thinking that somebody else is going to protect their freedom. Everybody, as you say, has to be the one. My new, what I've been saying is never be the one that has to say, I did not do today what I could have done to change tomorrow. Yeah, so we'll get you more as time goes on and it's not going to be this year. This is going to be a lot because we, we only get one chance at this. You got one bullet to fire at Goliath's head, and it's got to be a 50 caliber round armor piercing, and it will be. Well, congratulations for having the vision. I think the, the, the award we gave you in 2009 was the Visionary Award because you've been a pioneer in holistic health. And what really and truly this is about is a, it is an attack on people being able to stay healthy another way. What it is? Using pharmaceutical products. They don't, this is about business. This is, this is, <laughs> this is about a, a business trying to keep a stranglehold on government health programs not just in this country, but around the world. We certainly see that with the announcement by the World Health Organization in January that vaccine hesitancy is one of the top 10 global threats to public health. <laughs> How you believe is a threat to public health. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so ludicrous. I mean, when I saw that last year, I, I, I fell off my chair. But I said, they're, they're getting so outrageous. They're making it easy to, to, to uh, you know, remove them. Well, you know, sometimes adversity calls up the best in people. And that is that people 
people then do take action that they should have taken action earlier, mm -hmm. but only through this adversity that becomes very clear what is happening, do people then stand up and take the action that they should have been taking all along. Yeah. Because we ta have taken our freedom for granted in this country. We've, we've had it and we've taken it for granted and I have to fight for it. Yeah, we do not want another Germany. We have an example. We know what we don't want. We know what to do. Well, we also see it in, in it's happened in Russia and happened in China. Look yeah. what's happening in Hong Kong. I mean, we, we have to resist tyranny. We have to champion autonomy, the, the value of the individual. Uh, we, yes, we work together to have a good country uh, and public health, but individual health, the health of individuals contributes to the public health. When you devalue the health of the individual, you by extension eventually devalue the public health. And this is what is being lost. We all are valuable. We're all of our lives are valuable and to be respected and to be protected. Not just what the government says, some people. I look at the, the, this whole issue of how we're all supposed to get vaccinated to protect the immunocompromised who are undergoing chemotherapy or recently have had an organ transplant. What about the people who can't get through the process of vaccination without being injured or dying? Why are their lives less important than the lives of people going through chemotherapy or having an organ transplant? And, these, the, and this is why the narrowing of these vaccine exemptions and the elimination of the vaccine exemptions is so, so very dangerous for people who can't get through the process of vaccination and without being harmed. And there are many more of those people than people realize. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to make people, make it very clear that people understand that vaccines and the perceived benefit to the greater good is the justification for the suppression and the of information and censorship. But it's far more than that. And in fact, that, in my view, it's a relatively tiny minority of what's being suppressed. We're talking basic information that, that will, will clearly contribute to the, the conventional medical system being the number one leading cause of death, either directly or indirectly, primarily indirectly, for failing to disclose to people the simple strategies they need, they can implement as alternative to these dangerous medications and surgeries. And, and let's the fact, just the simple fact that statins are dangerous, all that information is being suppressed. And how to treat autoimmune disease without these expensive drugs, which in no way, shape, or form solve the problem, and, and really maybe give you a few more months, but don't maybe alleviate some of the symptoms, but you're going to die prematurely and suffer needlessly as a result of it, rather than identifying the true causes, which are not that challenging. They're relatively straightforward, but if the information is pressed, you'll never find it. And that is the powerful motivation for me because I heard so many, I had so many people come up to me and tell me their story. I don't want it to disappear. No, they're using the vaccine issue as the tip of the spear in what I call the culture war. Well, I call it the vaccine culture war, but they're using vaccination in order to take away the right to have information and make choices about anything that is, in is an alternative to the medical model, which is very dependent upon pharmaceutical product use and certain kinds of medical interventions. This is really a fight about whether or not we're gonna be able to have the right to choose how we heal and stay healthy and how our children heal and stay healthy. The medical model is not the only one that we should have to uh, rely on. Why can't we, why can't we use more natural, less risky uh, ways to stay healthy? You've talked so much about the value of having controlled exposure to the sun. The sun is there for a reason. Yeah, that's a classic example. They'll take that information away. The sun is dangerous. You're going to get cancer. You'll die. Stay out of the sun. That's, that's the message we'll be. I know. And we know that if people don't get controlled exposure to sun, they're sicker. I mean, it starts, you start to wonder 
about why common sense isn't being used, why everything is skewed toward complete reliance on the pharmaceutical-based medical model that has lost its way. Medicine has lost its way and the people know it and they want to do something different and they have the right to do that or should have. Of course they do for the reasons you mentioned earlier. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time. We live in interesting times. So, uh, and these challenges remind me of uh, W. Clement Stone's big comment on life of living life as an inverse paranoid and then knowing that something a circumstance that we all face bad circumstances and this is certainly one of them i mean it's it looks as face insurmountable but to know that this is a marvelous opportunity in some massive truly authentically good result will come from this challenge i believe that i believe that this time of oppression this time of suffering, this time when people are afraid that they're not gonna be able to have autonomy or be able to make these choices, this time is a defining moment in our history, not just on health issues, but across the board. These are fundamental civil liberties and human rights issues. And I believe the people will respond, especially in this country, this is this was foundational to the, the foundation of our, our society. And I believe in the people and I believe they will respond. No matter how much power and money is thrown against them, they will stand up for their freedom. Yeah, most will. I agree. And we don't really even need the majority. I mean, sure, there's some. I mean, there are people who smoke. There are people who abuse drugs. And I think everyone should have that freedom to make that choice. But uh, given a healthy individual whose mind is working well, I think the majority of people will understand that this is a requirement if we're going to maintain our civil liberties and our personal freedoms and resist tyranny. I absolutely agree. I am so proud to be working with you. I'm, I uh, am proud to be standing up with you for these foundational human rights. Yeah. So, uh, me too. <laughs> that was a great alliance. It is. Uh, over 10 years ago now and I remember that phone phone call when I first called you and and you were very skeptical that I had some ulterior motive <laughs> no 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 I just I you know what I have always said I want to be face to face with someone I want to know that they are aligned with me in many different ways philosophically certainly and you were I mean I can remember when we first sat down and talked I knew immediately that we were on the same wavelength that we had the same motivations and the same aspirational goals to help people make informed healthcare decisions. And it was, a, it was really an amazing meeting. And I knew that it was meant to be. We were meant to, uh, to work together. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, that was a long time ago. And I remember what precipitated that because I had purchased the audio tapes. There was an audio tape that I listened to on an audio tape player while I was running because I was still running at the time. I listened to your conference and just all these incredible presentations that you had at your vaccine conference that you used to hold regularly, but haven't had for a while now. And I, I said, gosh, I've got to do so. I, it inspired me. I said, I have to help this woman because she's making a difference. So actually, that's the reason we're having this interview because it's Vaccine Information Awareness Week, as you well know. And uh, we're hoping that you'll continue to join us in fighting this oppression, fighting this tyranny. Uh, because clearly the tip of the spear of the oppression is aimed at uh, Barb and myself and other people with like minds uh, that want to present the truth and, and are concerned about vaccine safety. So uh, if you want to help, I am going to match your donation this week with and donate to the National Vaccine Information Center and provide the funds they need to, to continue because Truthfully, without your support, they'd be they'd be out. They'd be out of business. And you know, I actually came to her. I think at a time where she was in transition and was almost ready to shut down. Uh, but thanks to mine and your support, we can keep them afloat and really make a difference. No, that's actually true. You made a very big difference at a critical point in our history, and I uh, will always be grateful and grateful to the many followers you have who have uh, supported MBIC in our mission. 
Uh, it's made all the difference. And I know that a lot of people count on NBIC because we've been here for 37 years and we've never wavered in, in our message. Our message has always been about preventing vaccine injuries and deaths and defending the informed consent ethic. And I look forward to another 30 years of working with you. Yeah, and you know, and the reason you're so confident is because you know, one of my interests is longevity, and I share my secrets with you. So I That's share them right. with everyone, really. But you know, fortunately, you you you're able to listen, like my parents listen, and they were able to. Thankfully, they're, well, they're not not thankfully they're not here, but they're not here with us anymore. But they they were able to avoid the conventional medicine medical system killing them prematurely, and I am so grateful for having that impact on them that they listen, and all of you out there who listen, and Barb is certainly one of them. She follows. I did. Many of the recommendations I, I advise her, and, it, and it's helped her personally. And we want to give her another 30 years because we need another 30 years. Thankfully, and I'm pretty confident of this, I, I know the solution and alternative will be available within five years, and maybe even within two. It might take longer than two, somewhere between two and five years. I don't think it's going to be less than a year, but we will have it. There's, you know, this weekend, this past weekend in San Diego, I, I just understood at the deepest foundational level, and, and it's I'm not sure why I have this confidence, but I have it, that we're going to find a solution. And this platform will be every bit as viable, every bit as known throughout the United States and the world as Google and Facebook and Amazon and Wikipedia. And they'll know that if you want the truth about this information, about health information, that we're not going to focus on everything else, just in health, you're going to go to this site. That's what that it is. is. Oh, that is so exciting and yeah, so empowering and, and, and so has so much hope for the future. Uh, it it's necessary. It's just, it's necessary. And thankfully there's hundreds of thousands of empowered clinicians who understand this too. So that, that will, and we'll do it. It's only with this massive cooperation, which I know is going to happen and, and brilliant strategic marketing or messaging, not marketing, but messaging that we can sort of consolidate what we've been discussing today in a two or three minutes so that people get it and they see the light, you know, and so we have to, it has to be very carefully crafted. We're going to be doing that. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah. It's good stuff. So it's the first public announcement of this. So it's going to be good. And I, and we may have to take it out because depending on what our strategic leader in our businesses say, uh, you know, we may not warrant, want to warn the opposition prematurely, but uh, I don't know that's going to matter. I don't know there's a darn thing they can do. Because they don't, they don't, they, there's nothing they can do once we get it out there, unless they take down the internet. I guess China could do that, but I don't think that's going to happen in the United States. That would be a revolution. I mean, they, they could, they could theoretically censor the site, but who knows? Well, let's not, let's not think about that. Let's just go forward. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. All Very right. Good. Anything yeah. else you want to add as a closing, Barb? No, I, wow, did we cover a lot? I, I, there's nothing else I have to say right now. I, I'm really happy that we had this conversation. Yeah, and I'm glad you're informed now and, and uh, because we've got some personal challenges. Some of the media is coming up, both of us, and uh, probably will be in the media before this interview airs. But, uh, and if it does, then we'll certainly include that in the article. Yeah. And, and respond to that. All right, well, onward and forward. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for everything you do. And congratulations again on your Game Changer Award. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, it's a big one. I, I hope you send me an, actually a plaque I can put up on my office. Oh, no, no, no. We're not sending no. you a plaque. Oh. We are, we're sending you, uh, it's one of those awards that you put on your desk. Oh, well, well just something yes. I can say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely printed. I, you know, to, normally we present this when you're in the office, but, you know, our office is... In my schedule, especially this conference in San Diego I attended, just really prevented me. I would have, you, we would have flown you down to our Florida office and I would have been down there, but I just, it would be too much because I just got big and late last night. There's no way I could have pulled this off. Oh, this wow. Week. You look good for getting in last night. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was, yeah. Well, this was one of the most life-changing events of my entire life, which, you know, we, I had this confidence that we have a solution to essentially tyranny in the United States and worldwide, which is just mind-blowing to, to, to know that we have a solution and how to, how to do it. You know, I mean, the detailed tactics have to be worked out, but you know, we know we have the outline. I so, knew that you would, I knew that you, if anybody could do it, you would think about it and, and somehow do it. When I saw this happening, 
in the last year and a half, I thought, you know, somebody has to build a better mousetrap. That's all somebody has to do is build a better mousetrap so that people have a place to go. And you, and now whoever you collaborated with, it sounds like it's happening. Yeah, we, we need some, probably 10 of the, the, the most brilliant guys on internet, on the internet in the US and we're in the process of identifying who those individuals are and form this ultimate mastermind and then create that and then then we'll bring it to the masses, the clinicians first and then they'll spread it to their, their clients and patients. So it's good, it's gonna be great. Thank you. Decal to the head of Super Goliath with armor piercing, <laughs> boom! <laughs> like David and Goliath. He, That's what yeah, it is, except he yeah, had a slingshot. He had a slingshot. We got stronger, <laughs> stronger armor, okay. All right, well, thanks everyone, and please support Barbara uh, for the marvelous work that she's doing and hopes to continue to do with your support. Thank you so much.